Please take your Bibles this afternoon and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. The beginning of Ephesians serves as a, a grand theological introduction to the letter really as a whole. And as we've already seen, the overall theme of this passage is to praise God for the blessings that He has gifted us in Jesus Christ. And these blessings so far are us being chosen, are us being adopted, are us being redeemed and forgiven by God, and that He has made known to us the mystery of His will. And today we'll be looking at verse 11 to verse 14. And in these verses, we see the last of these spiritual blessings mentioned here is our inheritance in Christ that is sealed by the Holy Spirit. And that is the title of my sermon this afternoon, Our Inheritance in Christ. And in these verses that we will be looking at, Paul's message to us is that if we have believed in Jesus, we have received the promised Holy Spirit who will, who will never leave us and who is the guarantee of our inheritance in heaven. Um, so that's what we have this afternoon. So please stand with me as we read these scriptures. I will be reading from verse 3 to 14, even though we're looking at verse 11 to 14. For context, we'll read the whole of the passage from verse 3 to verse 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. Please pray with me. Lord, we pray today to help us praise you, Father. We ask that we would praise you for your glory and that we would relish, Lord, in our glorified Savior. And Lord, that sounds like a mouthful and we need to learn how to do that properly. And we pray that you help us to do that. Help us to worship you in spirit and in truth, how you want to be worshipped, Lord, how you want to be loved according to your revealed word this afternoon. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to remove any, any blind spots that we have, Lord, to be able to see your word today. We ask your spirit to teach us, teach us what has been written here by the, the author, by the Holy Spirit for us, Lord, for his audience, and help us to apply these truths that... Um, 
are relevant for us today. We ask for your help, and we pray this prayer in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. I remember receiving in my inbox an email from a very friendly Nigerian prince who told me that he was dying of cancer and he had no relatives to leave his inheritance to and that he wanted to, to deposit all of his wealth, which was about $8 million, into my bank account so that I would use his money to, to bless the, the children of this world. And he told me that I could keep some of the money for myself to, to cover all of my own expenses. All that he needed was my bank account details. Um, maybe you have also received a, a similar email at some point. And obviously, this fraudulent prince was appealing to our expectations of a lofty cash inheritance that many of us would never get from our own parents. And Paul is telling us that we have something much greater than money to look forward to in this passage. And this spiritual blessing that we're looking at this afternoon is an inheritance that is kept in heaven for us that we look ahead to in hope, an assured inheritance. And as he's leading our attention ahead to our future inheritance, he's answering the question of how do we know that this is true? And how do we know that this inheritance is actually ours? And those questions he will reveal to us in our passage. My first point this afternoon is in verse 11, simply obtaining an inheritance. Obtaining an inheritance. And in this verse, Paul is pointing to the future, telling us, if you look there in verse 11, in Christ we have obtained an inheritance. Now, an inheritance speaks of something of value that you will one day receive. It's something we look forward to possessing. And the Greek word translated, we have obtained an inheritance, occurs only here, actually, in the the whole New Testament. And the sense of the, the verb here is to be destined or to be appointed or to be chosen. And notice the language that Paul uses here. He says, in Christ we have obtained an inheritance. And the language here assures us that the inheritance we look ahead to is in fact already ours. It is assured. That which we look forward to already belongs to us, because we've been adopted, because we are part of God's family. It's something that we anticipate in confidence, in confident assurance that this inheritance is ours. But also notice here that Paul is emphasizing God's sovereignty. He's, he's emphasizing God's sovereignty. Why? Why? Well, look at the verse. Look at verse 11 closely. Again, he mentions the words, in him, we've seen many times already in chapter 1, he mentions the word predestined there in verse 11, and he mentions the word purpose and the word will. And they really are all similar words that he's already used in verses 4 and, and verse 5. And Paul says that the reason we have been chosen to receive an inheritance in Christ is that God, God is the one who has predestined this to happen. He is the one who has predestined us according to His purpose and he is the God 
who works all things after the counsel of his will. And Paul's point is that everything we have in Christ is, is due to God's sovereign purpose to save us. And Paul not only sees God in control of salvation as he, he chooses to elect some, but also in complete control of all things, in complete control of the whole universe. Now, you remember the context here. Paul is writing this while he's in prison. And I'm sure that this brought Paul tremendous comfort while he was thinking of these wonderful truths of his inheritance that is assured for him when he dies, when he dies. And another reason I believe that he is emphasizing God's sovereignty here is to, to comfort himself, but also to comfort the Ephesians that he's writing to, but also in application to us as well here today, to give us assurance that he will complete what he has begun. And we know that we will finally be saved because the God who purposed to save us is sovereign over all things. He is sovereign over all things. Ligon Duncan, one of my favorite preachers, he, he argues that the phrase, we have obtained an inheritance, indicates that what is in view here is not so much the inheritance that God has given to us, but the fact that God has chosen us for His inheritance. And this is what he says. He says, Paul is saying that in Him, that is in Jesus Christ, we were made God's inheritance. He is saying that God's people are God's inheritance. You are what God has chosen for Himself. It's as if someone has found a vast treasure, and the leader of the expedition is asked, what do you want? And he says, this is the peace that I want. This is the treasure of treasures. The rest you can have. This is what I want. It's as if God has said, this is what I want. You, I have chosen you. Now just think about that for a moment. Drink that, that thought in. I mean, Lord, you've, you've chosen me <laughs> for an inheritance. Now, now, why he would choose me, I, I, I don't understand. Why he would choose other people, maybe. But why he would choose me, I, I don't understand that. Why would the Lord do that? I hope that, I hope that delights your, your soul this, this afternoon. I hope that thought that God has chosen you, not because of anything that you have done, not because of anything that you deserve, but simply because of his grace. He has chosen you as his treasure. Ligon Duncan, he goes on to say, Paul says that what God has chosen for his inheritance is his people. And if that is something to delight in, it is also something that incites us to, and it evokes from us, a delightful obedience and obligation. I like the way he says that. A delightful obedience and obligation. I'm going to talk a little bit about that in a moment. But if we belong to God and He sees us as such a treasure, don't we have a delightful obedience and obligation towards our Savior who has saved us for, for no good reason? Another commentator, David Wells, he, he puts it this way. He says, It is the inextinguishable knowledge of being owned by the transcendent God that forms our character. And His ownership challenges every other contender so that we know that we belong to God 
And that changes everything. That changes everything. And what Wells is saying so succinctly is what we try and say in this pulpit every Sunday. We have been saved to serve. We have been saved to serve. And we don't serve, to, we, we don't serve grudgingly and, and with a bad attitude because we have to. No, we, we serve joyfully and thankfully because we know that we belong to God. We know that He has chosen us and that changes everything. As Ligon Duncan says, a delightful obedience and obligation. Not a grudgeful obedience and obligation. A delightful obedience. This changes everything. It changes everything when, when you're in school because we know that we belong to God. We're God's children. We're God's inheritance. And so that, that changes the way that we, we're, we, we relate to people, the way we relate to the world. And there's nothing that we need from the world. We don't need the world's approval. We've gotten our approval from our Heavenly Father, and we delight in Him more than anything else. He has adopted us. He has chosen us. We are His. Now, youth, consider that young girl in your class that, that everyone makes fun of. And you know that if you don't join in the, the mockery well, that your friends may not like you. You won't be part of the gang. But nevertheless, you decide, no, I belong to God. I belong to Jesus. And I'm not going to do that because that little girl is made in the, the image of God. And I'm going to treat her as she deserves because she's been made in the image of God. And I don't care what my classmates think of me because I belong to God. It changes everything. When you're in high school and you're invited by a friend to engage in the, the use of alcohol and, and again, you know that if you, if you don't do it, you're, you're not going to be part of the, the in crowd. And you're perhaps going to be made marginal or peripheral to those that are most popular. And, and you remember, I belong to God. He, he owns me. He bought me with a price. I don't get my approval from my peers, from my classmates. My approval comes from God. I belong to Him. I'm going to glorify Him in my body. He adopted me. It changes everything. Or when you, you were in college and every opportunity for, for sexual immorality is presented before you, but you decide, no, in my relationships with my boyfriend or with my girlfriend, I'm going to remember that I belong to God. And therefore, I'm going to live like I belong to God. I don't care what that person thinks of me. I'm going to obey God's word because I belong to God. He has chosen me. He has adopted me. That changes everything, doesn't it? And with this delight comes a duty. Delightful obedience and obligation. There is a delight. There is an obligation that comes with realizing that, that God's people are God's inheritance. That you are special. That you are, in fact, a peculiar person, not of this world. God has chosen you for himself, not for this world. We are not our own. We are God's. We belong to him. Therefore, let us live for him like he died for us, unashamed, 
unashamed of the gospel. And now Paul's still not done yet. He's not only telling us how we we got this blessing of being God's inheritance, he's, he's also about to tell us why. And that's my second point we see in verse 12, the purpose, the purpose of our inheritance. Look at verse 12 there in your Bibles. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. And Paul is telling us here that God's people are God's inheritance by God's will. Why? For what purpose? For His own glory. Remember when we studied the, the catechisms together, one of the questions in the, the catechism was, what is the chief end of man, or what is man's purpose? And the answer was? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Delight and obligation there, isn't there? We get to enjoy God because He's, he's, he's a good, good Father. He is holy and perfect, but He also gets glorified in that process. And that's our purpose on this earth. We're not, we're not our own. We belong to the king of all kings. We are his inheritance. We are his family as his heritage, as his legacy, as a display of his glory so that there will be a multitude that no man can number who have been visited with the richness of God's goodness and grace so that the goodness and grace of God can be displayed to all of the universe for God's glory. For God's glory, not our glory. God's glory is simply the revelation of who He is. The revelation of Him in the fullness of His, his character. A few nights ago, I went into the desert with a friend and he had this huge telescope. And we got to see these stars close up and the moon and the, the craters on the moon and, and, and the, the mountain ridges. and the, it, just, it was incredible looking at all of these stars. And for a moment, I thought, you know, there's galaxies here and galaxies that, that no man can see with their, with their normal eye. Why is all of this here? For God's glory. <laughs> the heavens display God's glory, folks. The heavens display His, His handiwork. He was pleased to do that for His own glory, to display it to us, to show us. He, who He is. And that's our purpose. That's why He created us. To display the revelation of who He is to the world around us who is still lost in darkness. Everything we are and everything we have comes from Him and is for Him. And we are to live for His glory. We are to worship Him. And you know, one of the the unique things about this, this doxology, remember this is a song here, is it lets us know that the, the early Christians understood that the, the reason for, for being, the reason that they existed was to worship God in all of their life. They knew they were there for God's glory amidst all the paganism that was around them, amidst all of the sexual immorality that was around them. Amidst all of the sin and all of the idolatry that was around him, they existed for God's glory. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed, folks. 2,000 years later, 
There is idolatry all around us. There is paganism all around us. There is sexual immorality all around us. But still, the reason, the purpose for our salvation, the purpose for, for God creating us, adopting us, is so that we would reflect Him to the lost world around us, so that He would get the glory. I think this is very counter-cultural to speak these words today. You know, we live in the most self-centered culture, I think, that has ever existed. People are focused on themselves. Groups are, are focused on themselves. Everyone's demanding their, their rights. And, and here is a totally God-focused, God-centered view of life. Here, I am not the center of life. God is. The world doesn't rotate around me. It rotates around God. Paul says it's all about God's glory. And that God-centeredness of life ends up freeing us from this self-preoccupation of ourselves. Of ourselves so that, so that we can give ourselves to others. So it leads to not only the the God-centeredness of the, of the Christian life, it leads us not only to praise God and to, to live for His glory, it leads us to, to turn out from ourselves and to be other-orientated in our, in our ministries and to love others and to be concerned for others and to build relationships with others so that we can display the glory of God to them. Not so that we can tell them how magnificent we are and what our bank balance is and what our education is and all our degrees so that we can tell them who God is, display His glory. You see, understanding this truth will change us completely as God makes a, a new family for Himself. It's not a family preoccupied with themselves. It's a family that's preoccupied with God. It's a family that puts God first, a family that loves, and a family that cares, and a family that's concerned for others, because when our lives are turned inside out, directed away from a preoccupation with ourselves to the praise of God, God's glory, freeing us to be able to minister to others. You see again how life-changing this, this concept is, this thought is. On the one hand, to to learn to delight in God's glory, to long to see the, the nations that we would see glorify God one day in heaven, bowing the knee, singing all together. We do long for that. We want more than anything to see God glorified by the world, knowing Him as He is. That's our, that's our prayer. And that's what living for the glory of God is all about. Later on, we'll be voting on our, our missions budget and the whole point of our missions budget is to make his name famous among the nations. We put money aside for that. We put a lot of money aside for that. So that we can partner with people to make God's name great among the nations. We want to be a church known that lives for the glory of God. That's the main point of our existence. Living for the glory of God, not for ourselves. That leads to my third point in verse 13 and verse 14. 
how the Holy Spirit seals our inheritance. Paul says in verse 13, look there in your Bibles with me, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him. So here in verse 13, Paul turns his attention to the the Gentile Christians there in Ephesus. But notice here, he says there in verse 13, In Him you also. But look down to verse 11. In verse 11, he says, in him we. So there in verse 11, he's referring to the Jews, including himself. In verse 11, he is specifically speaking about how God, in his mercy, has reached out to the Jewish Christians. Now, he is speaking to the Gentile Christians. And he says, he's done the same thing for you as well. Paul is emphasizing here that there is no second-class Christians. There is no second-class Christians. Jewish Christians, Gentile Christians, all are saved by the same blood of Christ. All are saved by the same plan of God. All are saved by the same mercy and grace. All have been adopted into His family. All have been given the fullness of the inheritance of His Son. All are called a special chosen possession of the Father. And so Paul is calling on all of us to delight in this glorious truth of God's mercy to us. We are the Gentiles, by the way. I don't think anybody is, is a Jew here in, that I know of. We are the Gentile community that Paul is referring to here. And can I make this application for us as a, as a church? God delights in diversity of worship. God, de- God delights in diversity of worship. You know, since we left the, the Emirates Park Zoo as a church and um, had to come here to the, the TEC building, the demographics of our, of our church have changed. The makeup of our church has changed. Different types of people have started attending our church, and that's okay. Can I say that? That's okay. That's a good thing. Revelation tells us that heaven is going to be filled with people from from all nations, from all tribes, from all languages who will be worshiping Jesus. And if that's what heaven will be like, our churches should too as well, yes? And Paul is calling on all of us to delight in the glorious truth of God's mercy to us. Paul is calling on all of us as a church to delight in the the glorious truth of God's mercy to us. Jew, Gentile, Filipino, South African, Australian, fill in the blanks, okay? All given the fullness of the inheritance of His Son. All called a special chosen possession of the Father. And if our friend, the the fraudulent prince, repented of his sins and put his faith in Christ and was redeemed from his sinful lifestyle, then then looking for an honest work, he he found a a job in Abu Dhabi and he wanted to, to join our faith family and he applied to become a member of New Life Church. We would ostracize him, right? 
No. <laughs> no. <laughs> we wouldn't ostracize him. We would embrace him. Because we have all been saved and redeemed by the same blood of Christ and then adopted into God's family and been given this inheritance of his son. Notice there, he says in verse 13, when you heard the word of truth, there is only one word of truth. Can I say that? We have all heard the word of truth. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of truth. And I quickly want to make this point that I think needs to be emphasized here. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. James Boyce, James Montgomery Boyce, he, he once said, Just as the Holy Spirit glorifies Christ and may not be separated from him, so also does the Holy Spirit always speak through and with the word of God, the Bible, and is not to be separated from it. The Holy Spirit never speaks or works apart from Scripture. Turn with me quickly to um, Ephesians. Uh, sorry, we are in Ephesians. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Look at verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. The reason you were saved is because God spoke, somebody spoke God's Word into your life. Because you heard the truth. Your salvation required the Word of God to be spoken into your life. We don't get saved by looking at the clouds. We don't get saved by looking in a mirror. We don't get saved even by dreams. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of life. Make sure your confidence is in the Scriptures. Make sure your confidence is in, your, in the Scriptures, not in your emotions. God's Word is sufficient. Let us pay attention to the, the Word of God. Let us, let us read it. Let us study it. Let us memorize it. Let us discuss it. Come to home groups during the week. Let us study the Word of God together. Let us pray the Word of God. Let us sing the Word of God together. Let us apply the Word of God together. This is what the Holy Spirit enables us to do. That's what the Scriptures are saying here. This is part of our inheritance. We get to understand God's will. We get to be discerning because of the Holy Spirit, this gift that the Lord has given to us. And then he says in the second half of verse 13, back in Ephesians, he says that we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now a seal is used to confirm, it's used to authenticate something um, to be genuine or true. This is like a, a seal on a on a on a on a, a bull that a money bill. Even our Durham has a has a seal. It indicates that the 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 bill is genuine. The note is real. And similarly, the the Holy Spirit's seal indicates that the one who has trusted in Jesus is genuinely God's child. 
If you are born again, you will have the Holy Spirit. If you are not born again, you won't. A seal is used to mark one's property. I have a seal that I put in most of my books just to make sure people understand that book is mine. When you read it, please bring it back. If you have a book of mine, please bring it back, okay? <laughs> a seal is there to mark it. This is the seal that was placed by, I think, the Sanhedrin on the, the tomb of Christ. I think this is what Paul is referring to. They belong to them. The Holy Spirit seal makes the Christian secure in his new faith and relationship. And Paul says in verse 14 there, that we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So the Greek word for guarantee means a pledge. It's part of a, of a purchase, a money purchase, or, or property that's given in advance as security for, for the rest. When I proposed to Kerry, I gave her an engagement ring. It was a small diamond, but it, nevertheless, it was an engagement ring. You had to get a magnifying glass to see the, the diamond, but it was an engagement ring. It was, in effect, a pledge, a pledge that I would marry her. And similar to a, to a down payment on the purchase of a property, even though that, that down payment is a, a partial payment, it indicates that the fullness of the amount will be paid to the owner or to, to the bank eventually. And just like these down payments, the Holy Spirit is proof that we belong to God. The Spirit is given to us as a, as a deposit, as a, a down payment by God Himself, indicating to us that He will give us the fullness of His blessings. And the Holy Spirit applies the, the redemption that's been accomplished in Christ. And He will continue to perfect that which He has started to the very end. Praise the Lord. Amen. This is a down payment assuring us that, that God will give us the fullness of His inheritance. And the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is how we know we have an inheritance in heaven. Now, how do we know we have the Holy Spirit? What must we do to receive the Holy Spirit? Well, we don't need to get a second Holy Spirit baptism, okay? That is not in the Bible. We don't have to go to a three-month course to receive the Holy Spirit. That's not in the Bible. When we are born again, we receive all of the Holy Spirit. We receive all of Him at the point of our salvation. We just need to simply trust and obey, delight in our obedience. Instead of asking for more of the Holy Spirit, we need to be praying that the Holy Spirit would get more of us. That's really the prayer we need to be praying. Dying to ourselves, making sure that we are submitting to the Spirit. We have all of the Spirit at the point of our salvation. We need to believe upon Jesus he is our inheritance. The Holy Spirit is there. He has sealed our inheritance. And those who are sealed are those who have believed, number one, in the gospel. They've repented of their sins. They've trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. Those who have been sealed with the Holy Spirit will experience 
conviction of their sin. They will experience comfort in the middle of their trials, in the middle of their calamities. They will experience power whenever they share the gospel and to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. They will begin to walk in freedom from their sin, and they will begin to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. And to realize that we belong to God, that we are God's special possession, changes everything, changes the way that we approach life. And to realize that God has given us His inheritance, changes the way we look at everything in this world, the most wonderful things that this world has to offer. You know, there are many wonderful things in this world that are, are good in and of themselves. But if we love those things more than we love God and more than we love the, the blessings of God, we have become idol worshipers. We are worshiping the created things above the one who has created them. And that doesn't bring glory to God. That doesn't bring praise to His magnificent name. You know, we ourselves have been given so many things that those many good things often distract us from the best thing, from God Himself. We're too tired to come to Bible study. We're too tired to pray. We're too busy to, to even read our Bibles. And we get distracted from the things of this world. And realizing that God has granted us everything, that God has granted us the fullness of His inheritance, causes to pale in comparison the greatest things that this world has to offer that are temporary, that will be destroyed, that will eventually erode. You know, you, know, you may be sitting here today and you may be and you may be thankful for many things. Lord, you have given me many friends, you may be thinking. And you delight in having those friends. Or you may be delighting in the fact that, that you are with, with family, or that you have been with family, or that you have family. And you know so many people who, who don't have um, families, or, or who are displaced. Or you may be delighting in the fact that, that God has given you a good job. Or you may delight in the schools that your, your children are, are going to. But if we value all of those things, all of those good things, any of those good things, more highly than the inheritance that we have in Christ, that God has pledged to us in the Holy Spirit, we have missed the best thing. We have missed the most important things. And Apostle Paul is calling us, along with the Ephesians that he's writing to, to keep our focus on our inheritance and to give praise to God because of this gift of the Spirit that seals our inheritance. Again, remember where Paul is. He's in prison. He's singing a song here. And Paul was able to sing the song because he saw the ultimate purpose of his life was to glorify God. 
Listen, if the ultimate purpose of your life is comfort, if it's happiness and joy, you will not be able to sing during your trials. Instead, you will worry. You will become anxious. You will complain and you will become bitter because that is your goal. That is your focus. Only those who realize that God is, is ultimately in control, that God is sovereign, and that everything is conforming to, to God's plan to bring glory to Himself. Praise Him even during trials. And they say, well, if I'm suffering, if my suffering brings glory to God, so be it. Lord, use my circumstances for your glory. Change my attitude in my circumstance. If my persevering brings glory to God, so be it. Help me, Lord, in my attitude here not to bring glory to myself and be a martyr in this process. If my prospering brings glory to God, so be it. Lord, please keep my eyes on you, not on the things of this world. Help me be a good steward of what you give to me. But let everything in our lives be for the glory of God. That is the type of heart and the type of focus that can praise God in every trial. So what is your focus this afternoon? If I was to ask you, what is your focus? Is it your happiness? Is it your success? Is it your glory? Is it your prosperity? If so, you won't be able to sing during your trials, as Paul did. Remember Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And let us praise God for the Holy Spirit, who effectually calls us to salvation, glorifies Christ, inspires the Word of God, and seals us for all eternity. Father, we thank you for your word here in the scriptures. Lord, we pray the Lord that you would help us to meditate on this this week, especially as we get together as a church and study this as home groups. Lord, help us to think deeply and drink in these truths, Lord, that we are your inheritance. May this change our life. May it change everything about our lives. May it reorient the way we do life. That our lives would indeed bring glory to you. Lord, please help us not to waste our lives on things that do not matter to you. May our focus be on eternity. May our focus be on you bringing glory to your amazing name, praising you for your amazing grace. Help us, Lord, to delight in you this week. May everything in our life be for your glory. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.